Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today we're going to do something a little bit differently and I finally convinced my wife to join me on a podcast. How are you doing, Kirianne? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing well, thank you. (laughs) So the main reason I've got my wife on the show with me today is that I want to share a bit of a paranormal story that happened and um, she was with me, so she would probably explain it better than me, seeing that she always remembers the finer details. But before we jump into that, there's two news topics that I came across on the internet that I thought was pretty cool. Um, the first one was a mysterious skull has been found, and that will possibly expand our family human tree. And these fossils were found in China and Israel, dating back about 140,000 years ago which are adding to the ranks of Hominians that are mixed and mingled with early modern humans. The fossils from Israel hint that a previously unknown group of Hominians proposed to be the direct ancestors of Neanderthals, and they might have dominated life in the Levant and lived alongside Homo sapiens, which are us. And meanwhile, researchers are studying an extremely well-preserved ancient human skull found in China, which has dated back into the 1930s and has controversially classified it as a new species dubbed the Dragon Man, which might be an even closer relative to modern humans than Neanderthals. Our second story is that a mysterious comet has entered our solar system for the first time. And it comes from the Oort's cloud and was officially designated as a comet on Wednesday, June 23rd. That designation came a week after it was first observed as a tiny moving dot in images archived by the Dark Energy Camera. The official name for this comet is Comet C-2014UN271, which is a whole lot of shit that I don't understand, but that is what they call it. And it was named after discoverers, giving it an easier Bernardine or Bernstein name. Yep, you heard that right, BB. And so far, scientists have learned some interesting information about the comet, which is believed to be 62 miles wide. So in South African terms, I would guess that's about 110 kilometers wide, which is quite freaking frightening. And it's currently 20 times the Earth-Sun distance from us, which is still a shit far away. However, if you have watched Deep Impact and Armageddon, you know that it could come anytime and then you've got to head for the hills and hopefully Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck will save the day. It will reach its closest point to the sun on January 23rd, 2031. Flip, that's only 10 years away. Well, it's only 10 years away. was probably a good thing. And at that point, it will be just beyond the orbit of Saturn, putting it at about 10.95 solar distances from the Earth. So I think it's safe to say that that shouldn't hit us at any time which probably means I need to pack the dishes away so I can't get out of that excuse from the comet. That sucks. Okay, so we're going to jump straight onto our paranormal story that we shared. Um, babe, I don't know where you want to start off with the story, what, what kind of house it was, where it was. It was 
a friend's house of ours that we actually house-sitted. House-sat. House-sat, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's probably how this whole podcast is going to go, me being corrected for my poor English. Um, so yeah, where do you, you want to jump in from there? So, at the beginning. That's a good um, place. Yep. We were house-sitting a friend's house when they went away. and um, But a bit of a backstory before we get into exactly what happened. They, um, Her boyfriend was into like like magic type stuff and would play with the Ouija board and do all these weird and wonderful Draw things. Draw pentagrams and stuff like that. Yeah, um, which is cool if that's what you're into, good for you. Um, so that's basically, yeah, there were spirits being summoned and stuff like that previously, or, or sorry, my speech now, prior <laughs> to us house-sitting. So anyway... We house sat, but we weren't sleeping over there. We weren't staying there. We just went there um, to look after the house and check that everything was fine, turn on lights, close curtains, all of that. So the one evening we went and we'd just gotten a puppy. Actually, I'm going to skip back a bit. Sorry, yeah. I missed a step. And this is how our stories normally go in our household because <laughs> my wife has to get all the details down. Um, so yeah, jump in again there. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't know what's going on. You need to feel like you were there with us. So the movie Paranormal Activity had just come out as well. And we had watched it previously to this experience. Then one of our other friends wanted to watch it with us. So the three of us went to our other friend's house that we were house-sitting. And we watched it there in their main bedroom. And um, they had wooden floors, just so you know. Yeah. So we finished watching the movie and we left. And then the next day or, or two days later, I can't remember, we went back again and did the same thing, opening curtains, turning lights on, but it was in the evening. And we had just gotten our puppy, Rascal. So this was many years ago. Yeah. Um, and we took Rascal with for drive and there were no doggies there at that time. So we took him with us um, just to lock up the house and we were going straight back home. Was it, wasn't it Christmas, Christmas Day actually, if I'm not mistaken? It was Christmas evening. I think it was Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah it was it Christmas Eve. Yeah, not Christmas Day. Um, so we went and just to do a quick lock up. And then we, we had gone into the house for something or to lock obviously to lock up and that's why I mentioned previously that they had wooden floors and um Rascal was in the house with us but I was watching him the whole time because I didn't want him to pee on anything um <laughs> as male dogs do yeah and he was a puppy so I didn't want him to chew on anything either and um we had come in the back door for whatever reason through the back gate and then we were turning lights on as we were going through the house. And the next thing, Shane and I were together and Rascal was there as well with us. And we heard these footsteps walking on these wooden, this wooden floor. So then um, we, we didn't really think much of the footsteps. Of I am a scary cat. So I kind of, it freaked me out a little bit. But, but it's also wooden flooring. So often, like, especially in summer... At night time when it cools down, things start to contract again. So maybe that's what we sort of yeah. played it off as, I suppose. Yes. So anyway, the next thing, the light in the kitchen went out. None of us were in the kitchen. Yeah, we were outside by the garage section, if I'm not mistaken. No, we were still in the house. Oh, yes. And yes. the light went out in the kitchen. And then 
so we thought that there was maybe somebody in the house or in the garden or whatever. So I ran outside to go get help. And Shane was stayed there to look around and see what was actually happening. And we, no, 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 Shane came with me to the car, actually. Yeah, but my car door was open. Yes. As he started walking towards the car to get out of there, we saw my car door was open and the light was on in the car. And I think that's, at that moment, we realized, shit, there's probably someone yeah. here and we've scared them off now. Now's our chance to get the hell out of here. Yeah. So that's exactly what we did. <laughs> we got in the car. We hadn't even locked their house up. We got in the car and we left and we drove down the road to go get help. There was someone having a huge party there and we crashed that party and we're like, please, can you help her call the, I don't, I don't even think we had our cell phones with us or something. No, I think we even left them behind. So yeah, I think we left our cell phones behind and at this point I'd left you at that house with those people that were having a party. Yes, uh, to call for help. To call for help, yeah. Because in our panic, we had left Rascal behind. <laughs> this poor little puppy in this dark house. Because, yeah, all the lights went off except one light. Yeah, I'm one light stayed on. One light stayed on. And that's what made me think it can't be a power failure because there's still one light on. So I dropped off Kerry Ann at that house. And I started driving back towards the house. And I thought, if there is someone in the house, I don't want them to see me pull the car up. So I parked like two houses down, got out the car. And I started walking in stealth mode, as big as I am in stealth mode, trying to jump from tree to tree and sneak in. And I opened the gate. But as you open the gate, there, there was a, a light on there facing like the road, a safety yeah. light. And this light was shining straight in my face. So I couldn't see shit as I was walking towards this house. And I still remember also hearing like, those footsteps running this time. Yes. So that really made me believe, crap, they've seen me and now they're running either out towards me or they're running out towards the back. And at this time, I turned around in fear and there was a couple of guys there from the party that my wife had sent. Yeah, and but he didn't know that these guys were coming Yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. So I freaking almost died of heart failure when they arrived there. Uh, my father-in-law... But they also heard the footsteps. They also heard the footsteps. Yeah, that's right. So they also believed someone was in the house and... They and it followed was me. definite human-sounding footsteps. It was not our puppy. Yeah, that's for sure. And, I mean, that puppy probably weighed about three to five kgs at that stage. Yeah. So those gents, I can't remember how many guys. I think there was maybe two of them or three yeah. of them. They followed me and we, we did a sweep of the house. And, of course, them being as brave as anything under alcohol influence they were just like walking from room to room in the darkness and yeah i'm trying to walk slowly and i'm shouting rascal rascal where are you trying to find this dog and there he was just in the but kitchen but he's such a brand new puppy he doesn't even know his name yet yeah a little thing <laughs> and then i just saw him in the darkness as black as he was running across the floor i picked him up i'm like okay that's one good thing we've saved the puppy now what but at this time my father-in-law had also arrived because my wife had phoned him and the security company had arrived as well and uh, they did a sweep of the house so we checked all the we checked the db board to see if the lights had maybe tripped even though i knew the lights couldn't have tripped none of the trip switches had flipped and the one light was still on all the other lights had actually been physically turned off and i can't understand how this how this whole story still happened i mean to me I felt something there that night. I don't know about you. Yeah, it was scary as hell. I don't know what would ever let me leave a puppy behind. Like, it just, <laughs> I was so frightened because I knew that her boyfriend is into all this um, stuff with spirits and stuff. So I do feel like, and I've always said to Shane that watching scary movies and that, 
of demons and stuff for me feels like you're inviting that into your life and I hate scary movies for that reason um to this day I don't like Shane I don't watch that but I don't like Shane watching it um and of course I still watch it anyway <laughs> yeah and I said okay but don't watch it in our bedroom not yeah. that not that a locked door would make a difference no because I don't think ghosts know how to use locked doors do they no but um <laughs> yeah I uh, yeah but I, even thinking I was really freaked out yeah but even thinking back to before this night had happened that house was pretty spooky though like it yes. had a very eerie feel to it uh, and that's another thing the the security company and everyone that was with us that night searched everywhere and there was no um trace of anyone else being in the house obviously i mean if someone ran out that's one story okay but there was dogs living at all the houses around there. And yeah. surely they would have barked if this guy had run and jumped over the wall. It would have. It wasn't that late at night either. No, so I think people would be awake. About like six-ish. It was still light. It was still light in the... No. It was getting dark because the lights were on and we had turned them... I but don't know. Another point we've missed, and I think this is where it sort of concrete stamps that it was something paranormal, was... When we went into this house, we went through the front door. And as we walked in the front door, I remember we always used to lock it behind us in case we did get robbed. And the it is only, South Africa after all. Yeah, it is South Africa after all, especially if you're looking at our news at, at the moment, at the current state of things. But anyways, and the only way to get to my car, which was in the front, was through the front door, but the front door was locked. So how, if there was someone there, someone switch off the light, Run right past you and I, go through Which the back. we didn't see. No. Run right past you and I, go to the car, open my door. Yeah, it was weird. And how would they have gotten over the front gate if the front gate was locked as well? So that's what really made me believe that something paranormal had happened. I think, I think it was more, not a malicious spirit. I think it was more of a, what's another word for naughty? A Christmas spirit. A Christmas spirit. <laughs> I don't know if you ever. No, not a Christmas spirit. Mischievous. Like a, a mischievous spirit that was trying to scare us and make fun of us because you often see in these scary movies that dogs always get hurt by these spirits and the puppy never <gasps> got hurt that's true and we left poor Rosky boy exactly so that's what makes me think it wasn't a malicious spirit uh, but more of a mischievous one so yeah there's definitely um creepy stuff that does ha happen out there and i was just so grateful to find rascal was okay yeah especially seeing that there was a puppy at the stage as well like now, if we think back, we would have never done that. We would no. have just grabbed him and, and run. But in saying that, I think we've never run that fast in our life. I've never reversed so fast in a straight line before in my life either. Um, I think that was the first time I've genuinely been scared of something paranormal. Because there was not one point that I actually think it was a robber. I don't know about you. I didn't know what the hell it was. I just knew. I had flats. Well, fight and flat mode. Mine is flat. And I always, <laughs> always run. You can ask anyone that knows me. I will leave you behind. She's not ashamed to say that either. Nope. So and if you're with her, just know sorry. she's running. I'd, I've got your back, but yeah, if it gets real, I'm out. Oh, man. So, yeah, that, that's our story I wanted to share with you guys. I thought it would be much better if my wife jumps in and tells you exactly from her point of view as well. Because I know I would have missed some points of the story. And everyone that knows, the two of us, knows that I can't just tell a story normally because I always miss out the juicy details. Um, I always give you the light version. She gives you the Pro Plus version for with 10 free upgrades as well. So, yeah. But thank you very much for joining me, honey. Pleasure, buddy. And, yeah, thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed that little segment. Thanks for having me.
All right, let's jump straight into the main story for today, which is the murder of Rosia Vanenkov. Oh my gosh, this story absolutely freaking blew my mind, okay? I couldn't believe how shitty the police work was in this case. I couldn't believe how shitty some of the people were, were in this case. And oh, you know what? Let's jump straight into the story. Now, I originally first heard of the, the story of Rosia Vanenkov on a documentary on Netflix, which I watched a, a month or so back. And uh, like I said earlier, it is crazy what happened. So basically, Rosia was born on the 9th of November, 1979. And her parents were Willem and Hilaria. Jeepers, Shane, come on, man. Anyways, now her father was an apparent abuser, so her mother left him when Rosia was just a little baby. And Rosia also had a brother and sister, but Rosia's mom started seeing a woman by the name of Maria Vasquez. And the two of them seemed to have fallen in love. They even purchased a house together, and, you know, even... Vasquez was named as the sole proprietor in the contract so it just shows you how serious things were moving along and after her divorce in 1983 uh, Rosia's mom kept legal custody of the children and she raised them with Vasquez as the couple's own. Rosia and her sister Rosa said that they had two mothers when they used to go to school and you know of course people now they are at school they start judging you for stupid crap like that um, so yeah, the girls even started signing several times their surnames as in Vasquez Hornos, and Hornos was Rosia's mother's maiden surname, in place of their normal legal name, which was Vanenkov. And you know, even if you go and look at Rosia's personal diary, you'll also find that she started writing the name like that. And Rosa also claimed that her own relation with Vasquez was one of affection, even at the heart of the media frenzy incriminating Vasquez in the disappearance and murder of Rosia Vanenkov. And now we move on to that fateful evening. And, you know, Rosia said goodbye to her mother and sister at around half past five on the 9th of October, 1999. She walked the 500 meters between her home in the Mias residence, a residential area known, also known as La Corretica, and her boyfriend's home in La Cala de Magias where she stayed until about 9.30 that night. And according to her boyfriend, she left then with the intention of taking a shower, changing her clothes when she got home, before reuniting with him and other friends at a fair in Fenguelelo later that night. So nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, most girls would do that. But anyways, let's move straight along. This was the first and only time that Vanenkov made the return trip alone and on foot. Usually... She would either be driven home or her, by her boyfriend or picked up at his home by her mother or sister. Not this time, it didn't happen. A foreign resident that passed away before Vasquez's trial was the last person to actually see her alive, walking from La Cala to Mias. So, of course, Rosia doesn't come home that evening and her mother and sister started contacting the boyfriend and all of her friends the next day, um, asking them, have you seen her? What happened? Where was she last? And all of them denied having seen her at the fair, which is where she said she was going. And now the mother was already alarmed, but this made things worse for her. So she, the mother decided to go for a walk with Cirillo to erase her, uh, like not erase herself, but almost ease herself from the pain and, and worry um, and instead of reporting Vanenkov's disappearance right away, which seems a little bit dodgy, um, I suppose everyone acts a little bit differently. 
However, during this walk, the couple found a pair of running shoes that they later identified as Vankov's, a napkin and several bloodstains in a vacant lot next to the road used by her. I can't even imagine, um, you know, coming across something like that of your loved one and immediately your mind begins to think the worst thing that could possibly happen. They then went on to alert the civil guard who cordoned off the area and they started their search with the help of the family and over 1,000 neighbours jumped in to help out for looking for her. And despite the absence of a body, it was immediately apparent to law enforcement that Vanenkov had been murdered. A blood trail began at 1.10 metres from the sidewalk and continued to a blood pool large enough to have caused her death from exsanguation. Oh my goodness. Exsanguination. Oh goodness, I'm not going to get this word right today, am I? Anyways, let's let's carry on and skip over that. <laughs> and, you know, next to the pool were dragon marks, or it is a suspicious sign, and crossing over them, and there was blood. There were tire marks made by a small vehicle with a tire model that went out of production in 1993. And because the dragon marks continued over several inclined terrain, that would have made it like, extremely difficult for one person to have dragged the body out there alone. It was believed that the body was dragged by at least two people. Now that's important to remember when we move on with this case. Then left in a less exposed area of the vacant lot before the vehicle was brought in to transport the body to another location. Three or four days after the disappearance, a taxi driver actually came forward to say that on the night of the crime, at about 10 o'clock, he dodged an off-road vehicle driving on the wrong lane at the exact point on the road where the surrounding shoes were found. And when the vehicle passed his, he heard a high-pitched shriek or scream that scared him. And on 16th of October, DNA testing confirmed that the blood had belonged to Vanokov. Now, I don't know why this taxi driver never came forward a bit sooner. Not that it would have really mattered, but you know, you make yourself look suspicious in cases like this. Oh, it aggravates me. And you know, despite the evidence, the family and friends of Vanokov st stated that they believed she was still alive. A couple that had employed her as an au pair offered a reward of 2 million pesetas for any useful information about her disappearance. And an English resident offered 10 million for her safe return. And of course, I mean, with most of these cases, as much as it's shitty if the body is not found, um, you at least always have hope because you haven't got a dead body to work with. You always have hope that they're out there somewhere alive. But that wasn't the case with Vanakov. Her nude body was found on 2nd of November near the sporting club Los Altos del Rodeo between Marabella and San Pedro. It was completely disfigured, stabbed nine times, partially mummified and skeletonized. The advanced state of decomposition had happened and only three weeks after the disappearance raised doubts about the whole identity of the body. This was attributed successfully to carbonization, acid corrosion and flesh-eating wasps. Yes, flesh-eating wasps. What the hell? Gosh, I didn't even know such a thing existed. Whew. However, Vanenkov's sister recognized some rings, two t-shirts and other objects found in two trash bags near the body that were belonging to Rissia. The t-shirts were torn by the stabs of the, the knife, which I'm assuming, and no clothes from the waist down were ever found. The autop autopsy confirmed that it was indeed Vankov's body. 
and also revealed that she had been beaten first, then stabbed once in the left section of the chest. Likely, she was trying to flee when this happened. This stab was the most damaging and has affected several organs and pulmonary arteries. And as a result, Barankov became instantly paralyzed or unconscious and her death was quick. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty heavy. Um, it's never nice to hear something like that. However, I think if there's any hope in the case, the fact that she died quickly and didn't have to suffer and go through that ordeal, that's some sort of positive um, side to it, if I'm going to say that. Yeah, and once on the ground, she was then stabbed another eight more times on a small area of her back in quick succession and with a likely aim of ensuring that she had died. The wounds were all caused by the same weapon, which was a thin, single-edged razor. Sexual assault could not be proven either way, and due to the advanced decomposition of the body. The body was also left on the ground for several hours before the killer returned and put it in the car, and was later deposited, not thrown, in the second location. It was partially covered by bushes and fallen leaves when it had been found. Because the number 8 was drawn on one of the bags, it was believed that the bags were not acquired with the intention of using them in a murder, but that they had been repurposed after being already used. Now, what the hell, guys? Really? The killer was also believed to be familiar with the area where the body was abandoned, and it was only accessible by a trail perpendicular to the N340 highway, which was very difficult to see from the road, so kind of the perfect place to dump a body, you'd think. And like you'll find in all cases, the police can't really start investigating or looking at suspects until they have a body, which in this case they now had a body, and the immediate suspect was Loli Vasquez. Yes, that's right, Rocia's stepmom. Now, a cleaner had apparently seen her stab in one of Vanikov's missing person, person posters. Okay, now, <laughs> that sounds a bit... Um, Twisted. Now, when I first saw that as well, I'm like, what the freaking hell is this woman doing? And the media immediately uh, spun the story, framing Vasquez as a scorned lover. Vasquez had lived with Hornos, which was, as you can remember, uh, Rocia's mom, for 11 years, raising the children as her own after her mother and the husband actually split up. And the narrative that the press pushed out of this was that Vanikov disapproved of her mother's relationship with Vasquez, who then took it upon herself to get rid of Vanikov. Though the two women had already been separated for four years, so that's one thing that's really important to note, is that Vasquez and the mother actually had been separated for four years, but continued to live together. Yeah, I don't understand it, but that, that's what happened, right? So Vasquez then faced the flurry of homophobia from the prosecutors and the press, which is a load of shit, and I think it's disgusting that people do that. But, you know, virtually no physical evidence actually tied her to the case. But nonetheless, the jury trial convicted her for murder in 2001 with no freaking evidence. Just because some cleaner had apparently seen her stabbing one of her Vankov's missing posters. What the hell? <sighs> so we fast forward a couple of years and we actually find out who the real killer is. The police didn't catch Vankov's murderer who was Tony Alexander King, until four years after her death. Four years later, guys. Just bear in mind, an innocent woman has been sent to prison, found guilty, being judged in the public eye uh, for apparently murder, 
meantime this piece of shit arsehole Tony Alexander Kenny is running out there free and you know by then another tragic killing had taken place this time the perpetrator killed a 17 year old Sonia Carabantes in Koyen and DNA collected at the Carabantes crime scene matched with the evidence found at the Vankov one and the profile belonged to a man not Vasquez and soon after that Tony Kin's ex-wife came forward with her suspicions about her ex-husband, formerly known as Tony Bromwich. Bromwich was convicted of strangling and sexually assaulting five women in London in the 80s and then was sent to prison in 1986. But guess what? He was released in 1993. Yeah, don't you just love a good story like that? I mean, a guy's gone on to assault, sexually assault women and strangle them and then he just gets released a couple years later. I think it was six years later. And then in 1997, after spending several stints in prison, Ken threatened a Hungarian student and viewers of the show Crime Watch actually identified him when they saw footage of the attack. After he fled to Spain, the British police actually tracked him down to, or they tracked him down to the area in Mies. They even notified the Spanish authorities about Ken being in Spain, but no one ever formally acted on this information. What the hell? Like, seriously? So we are telling you that there is a potential rapist and murderer in your area and you're basically saying, don't worry, we we got someone already falsely accused in jail. She'll just sit there. <sighs> Anyways, overwhelming DNA evidence linked King to the murders and he was eventually convicted for both killings and sentenced to 55 years in prison. While formally exonerated following King's conviction, Vasquez never received any compensation from the Spanish government. I think that's flippant pathetic and ridiculous and I hope she sues their ass. She sues the police, she sues the press that used all these homophobic slurs against her. Because you know, this woman's image is tarnished. She might not have been perfect, but her image is tarnished now. So I think that's a load of crap, man. It actually later came out... Um, I remember in the show that Vasquez said the reason she was quote-unquote stabbing the poster, she was actually pointing to the photo and trying to explain to someone, I think it was the cleaner, who apparently wasn't fluent in English or Spanish or whatever the case may be, so she was trying to explain to her in broken terms, this is the girl that's gone missing, have you seen her? So if she was just pointing with her hand, yeah, then she's not like really out of line for doing that. If she was using enough, that's a bit ill-tasted in my opinion. So that is the short and long of the story, guys. Rocio Vanakov was killed by this piece of crap, um, uh, Ken. And poor uh, Vasquez was sentenced to jail for four Well, she spent four years in jail for, for a crime she didn't commit. And no public apology, no compensation. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. And... It's sad to think that if the other young girl, Sonia, wasn't murdered and raped, would he have ever been caught? And how many more women would he have gone on to kill? And thirdly, how much longer would Vasquez have sat in prison because of this prick? Oh, it really makes you mad when you look at stories like this because you wonder how many times guys are getting away with this. Um, not particularly guys, women as well. Whoever the murderers are, I'm not going to judge. How many times are they getting away with murders like this because of poor police work? Now, that's not to say that all police work is poor. Okay, don't get me wrong. A lot of these cases get saved because there are persistent detectives and police out there that really want to get down to the, 
the bone ends of a, of a case. So shout out to those guys and you know, shout out to the families as well. Like to go through something like that must be absolutely terrifying and I don't even know how you come back from something like that. But um, yeah, guys, what do you think? Have you actually seen the documentary? What did you think about Vasquez's character? What do you think about uh, this, this king killer? Um, yeah, let me know what you think of the story. Uh, if there's any other stories you'd like me to cover, please drop it in the comments. Contact me. Um, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the show, and rate it as well on Spotify. All these ratings, likes, comments, shares, subscribes, they all help me to produce a better show. And that is what I want at the end of the day, to bring you awesome content. And the only way I can really continue to do that is if I get a lot of feedback from you. So, yeah, please don't be... Please don't be shy. Don't be shy, guys. Go and share it with all your friends. Let's get these stories out there. And yeah, take care and look after yourselves.